Hi everybody and welcome back to the Anime Independent Podcast. It is Sunday the 24th of June and with me today is my future wife, Bryony. Hi Ross. <laughs> oh, I was hoping you go, oh hi Mark. <laughs> but I'm not Mark so that would be weird. So uh, yes, hello and welcome. Hi, let's hope uh, you've watched The Room or you're not going to get any of <laughs> Ross's uh, bizarre references there. Everyone's seen The Room, it's wonderful. Well, this is, uh, you know, we had the pilot podcast last week and we're doing something a bit uh, different this week. Obviously, we have Bryony on here. Uh, we'll go through the latest news. I think there's five items on the docket there. And then we're going to talk about some new animation with Ancient Mages Bride. We're going to talk about some classic animation with Ulysses 31. And uh, Blaze Blue, the new game came out. I'll talk briefly about that and read the full review on the website. And then we're going to discuss a couple of Bryony's specialist subjects. Some board games. Some board games well, indeed. Card games, actually. Cardboard games, yes. The very <laughs> same. So let's let's rush through the news. What do we have coming out now then? Uh, Black Clover is coming from Sony on August the 6th. This has had a bit of a backlash, actually. A lot of people have been very unhappy because Hunter x Hunter hasn't been announced, but Black Clover is coming on August the 6th, as released by Xavi. I did actually have a little chat with uh, the people at Fetch, and they weren't supposed to be announcing it until the week after. <laughs> so a slight cock up there. I no, didn't even know Zavi still existed. Yeah, they're still just an online store now. All oh, right. So yep, they posted it. Uh, we caught that, and then I spoke to Fetch. Fetch told me that it was supposed to be announced the following week, and that it come out early. And then the next day, lo and behold, they gave out the official press release because everybody knew already. So why not? So uh, oh dear. <laughs> this is a, another shonen show, which is a young teenage show. It's all about magic. And it's set in a world where everybody has magic abilities except this one chap. And it's produced by teen action powerhouse Studio Pro, which is uh, Boruto, uh, Tokyo Ghoul. And it's overseen by the same director, Tatsuya Yoshihara, who did Monster Musume. And series composition by Kazuyuki Fudiyasu, uh, Girls Last Tour. So, anyway, that's coming out soon. If you're a fan of those kind of shows, this is coming from Sony, who seem to be releasing pretty much... As far as I can see, some of the biggest shows of this sort of genre, because I've done My Hero Academia, which I looked at last week, and that will be coming soon. Moving on to something slightly cuter and more designy, Genki Gear have released some new t-shirt designs, and you can see all those on our website. We have a nice little gallery of all those on there. Brian, you tend to wear more of a colourful t-shirts than me. I do. Any interest in anime t-shirts? Because I've not seen you wear one yet. Not yet. You haven't bought me one yet. So if I buy you one of these, there's a very cool little cook one, which I might get you. And there's another one about magic spells in a dungeon. Oh, and jetpack unicorn. Any of these appealing? I'm not really into unicorns. Okay. Everyone else seems to be. I I grew out of them around age 10. Okay. You know, nothing beats She-Ra's unicorn. Well, what we also have is a I'm full of bad ideas t-shirt. That might I, be more I'd be one offended if you, <laughs> if you bought me that. Okay. But that might be more one for me then. How about this one? This very cute uh, voodoo gingerbread Okay. chef cook t-shirt. Yeah, that's quite cool. Yeah, okay, so there we go. A couple of uh, cool ones in there. One with kawaii kittens, which is some sort of cereal t-shirt thingy. And then we also have, oh yes, this one's quite good. Your obsolete tech confuses me. Yeah, I like that one. Yep, okay, so there we go. That's what yellow in it. Your favourite. And we've got pictures of all things that remind me of the joys of the 90s. 
Yes, and for me, the joys of the 80s and even earlier, even one of these floppy disks is really old. Yeah, uh, I remember those, the old, uh, is it BBC computer disks? Yeah, the old super floppy disks yeah. before they became uh, little three and a half inch things. Or was it three and a quarter? I don't recall. But anyway, some new stuff coming out from Genki Gear. Check out genkigear.co.uk for those. Also, Bandai is asking for some feedback on their Little Witch Academia game. And if you check out the website, there's a trailer there, a link to the actual feedback form. But it looks like Bandai may be contemplating making a sequel, but they want your information. But it was is very that, good. Is that a normal thing for companies to ask no, feedback No, it's very like unusual. That? No, I thought yeah. I'd not heard of it. I wouldn't have chucked it in the news if, if it hadn't been pretty unusual. Mm. And again, I went with Mr. Seb of the Anime Network to interview the directors behind the actual anime series. And you can read that mm. on the Anime Network. So mm. uh, that's I, all very I interesting. I watched the first episode and uh, fell asleep. Yeah, since it was your cup of tea, did it? So uh, <laughs> We know, interestingly... It probably would be my cup of tea because I'm a massive Harry Potter fan. There's, you know, there's no reason I wouldn't like that. Um, I was just tired. Okay, well, we'll try again sometime. But uh, yeah, if you fancy giving Bandai some feedback on that game, follow the link on the website. It's all there. And also, a new series landing on Netflix on June the 30th. This is Fate Extra Last Encore. Now, this is based on the Fate Extra games, which were on the PSP and PS Vita, released by P-Cube, uh, set on the moon, as I recall. And you can find a lovely trailer, which I had to really try and dig up off of YouTube. And yeah, it wasn't very easy, but I did manage to find the original Japanese trailer. So you can go and have a look at that and see what you're in for. Then two more stories. So we've got Exceed Games have announced London Detective Mysteria. Now, I found this quite interesting because it's a visual novel game. I don't think you've ever played a visual novel game, have you? No, how... It's like a story yeah, game and you choose like? the options. It's like a choose-your-own-path-adventure oh, story. I used to do those back in the 80s in a book. Form. Okay, well, these are in game form. And this is based on the children of famous detectives and literary characters. So you've got the children of Sherlock Holmes and Watson. You've got Miss Marple's niece. And you have the nephew of Lupin. Arsene Lupin, the French thief. He was the inspiration for Lupin the Third, and there's a Studio Ghibli film uh, based on him. So there's uh, that looks sounds like quite interesting. Good. I think I'd quite like that. Well, I'll see if I can get a review code, but it does look pretty cool. And it's coming out for the PC and the PS Vita. So Vita lives. That should really be a hashtag. <laughs> Despite Sony, the, the, the PS Vita still lives. And lastly, there has been some news from Manga Entertainment. They have released a new trailer showing the. Uh, sort of plain clothes version of the Ghost in the Shell standalone complex collection. They did a big £150 super release of everything to do with Ghost in the Shell and that came with uh, like art books and interviews and very interesting things. But a bit expensive for some people. You can now pre-order this. It's just the first and second season. But it's on a nice slipcase, lovely graphics and that will be about £34.99. I think the official price is 50 quid. But it is a beautiful series, very, very well animated, just confusing as all hell. Because <laughs> it's full of techno gibberish. It's like watching Star Trek on speed. Okay, I'd probably fall asleep in that. Uh, yeah, it's got a fantastic opening for the first season. Is it though. dubbed or...? Oh, it'll be dubbed, yeah, and subbed. So you've got your, got your choices as far Excellent. as that goes. So that is the news. And the only thing on the website that is of note in terms of what I didn't discuss last week is our review of Blaze Blue Cross Tag Battle. This takes in... The American anime style animation Ruby, which it seems that Arc System Works are a big fan of, and Persona 4, which everybody should be a big fan of, Undernight in Birth, and of course Blaze Blue. And you can read the full review on the website, but uh, need to say it's pretty damn cool. You can see the trailer on the site so you can see how the game plays. 
Got a nice little gallery down there, and you can read my detailed thoughts on that. But it is a pretty cool fighting game. And again, not really your kind of thing, is it? So I think we will... Uh... No, nope, but I quite like the outfit for some cosplaying. Yeah, the ruby design is really nice. And yeah, I would definitely uh, recommend that. I will show you some more detailed pictures of it later, but I love the sort of like the hood. And she's got a massive scythe as well. I think I've seen a model when we were in Japan of that character. Yes, you probably have. It's quite popular. It's amazing, really, to say it's an American-originated uh, show and it's just doing really well abroad. So mm-hmm. really nice to see a little bit of reverse cultural integration there yes so that would be that so if you want to see more about blaze blue have a look on the website and let's get into the main topic of the podcast and so you are a big fan of ancient magus brine you've been reading the manga so tell me why you like ancient magus bride oh it kind of combines a love story with magic and all things fantasy you've got everything from fairies to dragons well give us the backstory how how does the how does the series start what's it about for those who don't know so there's your main character's a, a young female girl called chise yep and she's, I think from the manga, she's about 15 at the at the beginning of this story. And she's had a tough upbringing. She was a rather unusual child. Her mother died. And she was passed around various family members to take care of her who ultimately found they couldn't because of weird things that she would do, which later turns out that it's to do with the fact that she is what's known as a sleigh beggy. Mm. And yeah. um, she possesses supernatural powers. In the anime, I noticed that they call it a slave beggar because uh, they didn't really use beggy so much, did they? So they it did reads a slave beggy. It does, but yeah. It's slave beggy. Interesting in that the animation the slightly yeah. mispronounces it. But, yeah. but at the very beginning of the tale, she finds herself being sold at auction and bought by an ancient mage, a very tall, I want to say man, fellow. Yes, tall fellow. <laughs> guy with like a ram skull for a head. Yeah. And Elias Ainsworth, I believe his name is. Yes, or Elias, I think. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know. We probably read it differently, don't we? Because you, you're reading it as subtitles. Um, so he has bought her to be his apprentice mage, but also to be his future his future wife. Oh, there you go. I have to pay for you. That's great. So uh, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> one up on him. He pays five million pounds for her as well. Yeah. She starts the story not understanding that the odd things that have gone on through her childhood were due to her actually having these magical abilities. So it's a story that tells of how she realizes the stuff that's caused her so much heartache in the past is actually something powerful that she can she can use and although the concept that this guy has gone right you're also going to be my wife is also quite frightening for mm. at the beginning but eventually it does turn into to a love story mm. so the manga i've seen a little bit of it i've mean, got both the two volumes over there you really like the first one so i bought mm. you the rest well as many as i could at the time and I've read maybe the first couple of chapters, so the anime seems to take its time, because we watched the anime today. That is a direct adaptation of the manga, and so you're yeah. more of an expert than me is what I'm trying to get it's at. It's really true to the manga. Yeah. Um, there's a little more detail in the anime, things that you find out about her background, yeah. stuff that you don't you don't see in the manga. I've, I'm only on the third volume of the manga at this point, and I... I feel that I don't want to go ahead with the anime. I mm-hmm. want to read the manga because I do find it difficult to read a book after I've seen it yeah. on well, TV. It kind enough. of loses its its suspense and, and magic. But so How did you feel the show sort of represented the characters? Were they true to what you had in your head in the way they sound and the way they move and the sort of the, the direction? Did that kind of bring the yeah, thing to life for you? There were some things that were really true. Like 
the way you look at it um, in the manga, one of the things that's quite odd is this this skull's head that the this ancient mage has is sometimes drawn as a completely realistic ram skull. Ram skull, and then other times it's drawn in a really simplistic cartoon way. Hmm. And and you understand why that happens? No. Okay, so it's all about tone. So if you look at one of the scenes that happened in the anime, and it's only because I've seen a lot of anime, so you, you tend to pick these things up. But when he takes her into the bathroom and washes her, so she's had to sort of strip off in front of him, and she's like, oh, God, you can't do that, and the, he's got kind of like the cartoony face. The reason for that is because it's supposed to be seen as comedic, not to be seen as creepy or threatening. So if they'd have drawn okay. it with his eyes glowing and sort of like, get in there and I'm going to wash you. Is that because you can't really show emotion on That's the face right. of a... Skull. Ram skull. And so <laughs> no, you, you do Skulls, okay. notoriously not. No, I didn't understand that. Yeah, I thought so it's, it was it's, some kind of lazy artistry. No, no. But they all... carried that over into the anime. Which yeah. is it's, it's all to do with tone. It's to, it's to suggest something that is not necessarily that inherent. Because, mm-hmm. as you say, there's no expression on his face unless he's using his magic human face. There are things that happen in this anime, and again, I'm quite new to it, that could, taken out of context, be seen as quite threatening and quite controlling and had it been drawn a certain way, that's how you could interpret it. But I think because they've drawn it in a comedic way, it's to say, no, this is a light tone thing. Yeah. It's not supposed to be threatening. It's not going to be a you know, creepy old man. Whether or not people will take it the way it's intended, that's up to them. But that seemed to me to be the way mm. they were playing it, was to say, well, when we do something comedic, which could otherwise be seen as being something quite untoward or nasty, let's just keep it light, and that's what that was doing. I mean, I thought the uh, thing that was far more scary were the fairies in the first episode, which were sort of calling her my darling and trying to take her out to the forest and doing weird things and trying to it's get to go to It's funny, you see that quite often. You generally think of as fairies as pretty you know you think of them you think of tinkerbell when you think of fairies but actually in quite a lot of different stories fairies are actually quite nasty nasty vindictive creatures you see it in the labyrinth where hoggle's going around and spraying the fairies to kill them and the the character sarah goes up and goes oh they're so beautiful and it bites her and Mm. similar similar fairies Uh, in this in hellboy 2 i think they release all these fairies into this auction and the fairies eat all the people at the auction so yeah they can be seen as quite nasty but it's nice how you've got these different mythologies and because they do get represented in different ways in different places you don't really know what to expect so you don't know if something is nice or nasty and i think that gives the show a good edge and it gives it something to play we with. see that at the end of episode two actually where she's abducted by a dragon yes and in a very quite scary way mm. um, and you actually, you actually find out that com- the tone of that completely changes right. after that and the relationship with the dragons is quite nice and, mm. and sweet the one thing that i didn't like about the anime is that i had to read the subtitles right uh, and <laughs> not really the anime's fault to be no, fair i've done that but when you read the manga you read it in english and it's a story set in england mm-hmm. with english backdrops they're living just outside london and it's it seems very british <laughs> well yeah very british well, yeah. and then you watch it and without having it dubbed mm. and i found that lost something for me yeah i, I suppose if you're not used to it i think when you do watch a lot of anime you get used to the fact that play yeah. series set in places where you would expect british accents or things like that or even yeah. when they do them in america one of the reasons cowboy bebop works so well as a dub is because it's a very american style show yeah. same thing with trigun which is a western 
set on another planet, but it's very, it's both Western in tone, but it's also yeah. Western in terms of placement. Mm. So certain anime lend themselves to it better than others. Yeah. I think but it feels which... right to watch an anime that's set in Japan, to watch it in Japanese and watch yeah. the subtitles because it's Japanese language mm. and so on. But then to watch something that's English where all the characters are English and then to watch it in Japanese and have to... Adjust you, uh, just, the way you're just, yeah, consuming the, it, I guess, is the way you Yeah, at that it. point, the what you're seeing visually doesn't quite match up with with what you're hearing. Well, I, I mean, obviously that was less jarring for me, but one thing I really liked about it was the amount of detail and the Britishness of a lot of it. So they're out to the in the West Country, so that's made clear quite early on. You look at the sort of bricks that the house is made mm-hmm. of, and you get a few close-ups of that, and it's yeah. the kind of uh, light-coloured brick you would get in a country farmhouse mm-hmm. style thing. And there were beautiful images um, in series two, at the beginning of this, the London skyline. Yeah. Um, well, just to explain that is that we accidentally started season two because I just went to the first episode that came up on Crunchyroll, but that yeah. was season two, not season one. So we, I, I realised that because I've read enough of the book to think, mm. well, hang on a minute, this seems a bit weird. Yeah. So we found the right series, and even there, there were really nice pictures of London when they're walking down the streets, and it has a very British feel. You saw the Shard mm. in London, so it's very yeah. modern London. Uh, so they've not set it back to you know London in the 80s or anything mm. like that. There's a lot of modern architecture there, and they've mixed the new and the old very well. And I think there's certainly an element of the kind of Harry Potterness of that, where you've got you know Diagon Alley, which is this very almost York shambles style streets, where it's all twisty turning and oldy worldy, but. Which that. is interesting, though, because you can see from the skyline that it's supposed to be modern England, but yes. it does have that kind of vintage English twist. Well, again, and England also has that vintage yeah. English twist. We're a very old country, mm. so you can go to certain parts of London where it's very, very old. There's a great wine mm. place down by the Thames, which I like to go to, and you walk off a main street, which looks like a normal high street, mm. but you walk down to the river and suddenly it's cobbles, yeah. and it's an old sort of Tudor-style mm. house. And you think, wow, this is just, you know, this is right next to, like, at that time, Woolworths. (laughs) I think the idea is that in modern London, there are these areas where, you know, old magic exists and they exist in the... The, those older, more, more yeah. vintage you, spots, and that's yeah. why the Soho. story takes you there. <laughs> uh, maybe not Soho. Uh, but anyway, yes, there's, there's lots of very well-thought-out location shots. The fact that they're in the countryside, you had all these English sort of fields, and they're walking There was long even fish and chips on the dinner table. And, and shepherd's pie, as you pointed yes. out, yes. So it so, caught a lot of the details very, very well. Mm. And it's always quite flattering if you live in a culture and somebody else idealises it to that Mm. point the thing that i really liked about it was when i was growing up that's exactly what it looked like where i lived it was Mm. all fields everywhere you had long walks over bridges and you know you walk through fields to get to your village and things like that and again york's not too dissimilar once you walk along the river and you get to the countryside it's got these sort of long walks and little bridges and things how unusual is it to find a a manga or anime set in in england uh it's becoming more common weirdly enough and i think harry potter's got a lot to answer for as far as that goes but you have had other shows that have been set in london or other manga that have been set in england i'm struggling to think of them off the top of my head now she kind of put me on the spot there but there have been no no, it's fine there have been other series that have had uk based elements to them a little witch academia set in uh somerset so that's very english Oh, and there's another one that was uh, it's a recent film, and it was, again, writ- uh, based on a book written by a British author. Uh, I think it might be Marry the Witch's Flower. I think that's based on an English book. So there's a lot of British influence on Japanese culture, because the Brits and the Japanese generally get on pretty well. 
And as we said that, you know, Japan culturally is like we were maybe 30, 40 years ago in terms of the way people are with each other in the sorts of... Manners. The manners, yeah. They they do have a very manners-based system, whereas theirs is based on the honour system, ours is based on the class system. But this links between the two. And I think they look at British... Uh, society because you look at Japan it's a very unique looking country I mean you've now been through it so mm-hmm. when we go through the more countryside parts of it and I know you haven't seen the south uh, in the way I have but sometimes when you're on training you're going through and you see like the rice fields and they're huge but they're very very straight not like in England where all the fields are quite windy and you know odd shape it's a patchwork sort of mm-hmm. style in England whereas in Japan it's all straight lines very organized very uh, well thought out mm. and England we just kind of got a wall that might wander all over the damn place but that's the the border wall for that particular field so i think they look at England as kind of like a a mirror universe version of Japan in a way because we've got the countryside elements we've got the culture except they're somewhat behind us and therefore doing everything better because they've well, learned from our mistakes well like the train system in Japan that is based on the propaganda of the British train system we always made out that our trains run on time and it was, it was a British thing to have locomotives and you saw in ancient Major's Pride where they're at the train station and that's a very British looking train station but the Japanese based theirs on what they thought ours was not the actuality of it so they ended up with this amazing efficient train system and they run it almost militarily whereas we tend not to because that's not really our culture as <laughs> anybody who's ever tried to get a damn train can can tell you I've got loads of really funny train stories but I'm not going to those now but getting back to the point of Ancient Mages Pride I felt the setting felt very uh, legitimate it felt very authentic and I liked it for that and I could watch that show just to see the depictions of life in England so I'm probably going to keep watching it and mm-hmm. soak all that in I found that don't you, don't you do that thing when we're not together and you skip three <laughs> episodes ahead and then I go let's watch Ancient Major's Bride and you go well I've already seen it uh, I promise I won't do it with Ancient Major's Bride, but I do not make that promise for other things. <laughs> now that I'm working from home again, it uh, you know sometimes I need the company when I'm doing design work. But anyway, are you actually you're quite safe there because I can't watch subtitle stuff and work at the same time. So if it's not dubbed, it, you, you're safe. Okay. And this isn't. So yes, Ancient Major's Bride, really good series so far. And again, we're only two episodes into it, but I, I think there's plenty there to watch and enjoy. And I'll certainly look forward to watching more. And I've got the books just over there. So It seems to have a lot of fans, actually. It's oh, there was, a, there was two amazing really cosplays, cool. weren't there, at the uh, MCM? Oh, yeah. Two really, really good. Have done it really well. Yeah. But do you think there's the potential that it might come out dubbed in the future? Oh, somebody will release it over here. Uh, your most likely candidates, well, usual three, I suppose. Uh, I'd like to see MVM get it. But I have a feeling that's the sort of series people are going to want special edition for, so it might go to one of the other two. But we'll see. I, I'm sure it's not far off. I'm sure an announcement will come out at some stage mm-hmm. if it hasn't already. I can't think it was on MVM slate. Certainly, it would have would have popped into my mind if it was. Uh, but yeah, it'll it'll be along at some point. Bearing in mind, Ancient Major's Prime, not that old, and Black Clover, I think, is about a year or two old, and that's only just been announced. So usually, you got a couple of years. So I'd say it's about due. So. Excellent. So one thing that is not due and has been with us a long time, we move on to the next anime that I uh, forced you to watch, and that was Ulysses 31, which was one of the very first cartoons I remember as a kid. Teddy Bugs being one of the others. <laughs> oh, and Gatchaman. I wasn't born yet, so... Uh, no, you weren't born remember. yet. So this was, yeah, this is 1981, 1982 show. It is based on Greek mythology. The mech designs are by Studio New, who worked on Macross. So any Macross fans out there, the... Odyssey ship is just, I love it. I don't know what you thought to it, but it looks like a giant eye. 
yeah. that's the ship and the detail on it is just when you think they hand drew that because it looks so sort of CGI just even the way it just flies through space you know it's just a cell that they're just moving I, I, I think CGI is a bit of a stretch <laughs> no I thought it did I, th- I thought it had all the sh- it had all the detail you would expect from something that's been 3D modelled and it had lots of very uh, it did look more 3D than most of the stuff yeah. in that uh, of the 80s especially when the ship's moving and the um, they've got the parallax scrolling so you've got the parts of the ship are moving faster than other parts of the ship mm-hmm. based on their proximity to the camera and I really thought that was very very clever uh, design and I, I'm sure it's appeared in animation before then but for me as a kid uh, it was based it seems like a lot of it was based on Star Wars and in fact looking this up I found a bit of trivia where the Cyclops in the first episode is being uh, defeated by Ulysses they used the snow battle from Star Wars uh, the music from that in the anime and then got sued for it so uh, whoops so yeah but a bit too close to Star Wars there got a little bit too close to the sun like another myth. <laughs> but what did you think to my childhood hero, Ulysses, be kind? Oh, great hair. Oh, hasn't he got great hair? Oh, and a lion helmet. Great, great beard. Great beard, he'd, great uh, hair. He'd make a super hipster if he was around nowadays. He would. He does look a bit hipsterish, but he could also fit right in Game of Thrones, I think. Yeah. Obviously, seeing a cartoon in the middle of Game of Thrones would be a bit weird, but um, he, he certainly has a, he has a regal look, which I like. Yeah, um, definitely yeah, hero type. Yeah, again, very odd thing. He's an adult as a hero in a cartoon, and we haven't really had that since, I think, the early 90s. You don't get a lot of cartoons now where adults are the heroes in kids' TV shows. Was Captain Planet a hero? <sighs> Not to me. He but was going to take pollution down to zero. He was, and he didn't, did he? No. He lied. Where did he go? <laughs> <laughs> Failed and buggered off. I think when he realised that actually turning up and just stopping one, one company from putting something in a lake wasn't going to fix the entire planet, he realised he probably had his hands full. Yeah, Captain Planet was an adult hero, but he had to be made by five children. You know, he was, he was, he was the hero. He wasn't really the main antagonist. Was, uh, sorry, protagonist. He was, the, uh, he, was, he was just like the... Oh, I really want to find power. an example now. Uh, the Defenders of the Earth. And that was all adults, yeah. and then their so, oh, their children. That was I really loved, good. I loved that show. I used to dress up as the the Panther Girl all the time. The Panther Girl. I remember. Yeah, she was the daughter of the Phantom. That's right. She yes, was I like a black panther of some sort. Yeah. Well, that's uh, yeah. No, I always remember Flash Gordon in his red jumpsuit, which looked ridiculous. He looked yes. like. Tell you what, he looked like. He looked like a human Bucky O'Hare in that outfit. I always found that quite amusing. Mm-hmm. But getting back to Ulysses, obviously very old now, quite an old pedigree. Shuki Levy did the theme tune, the guy behind all the 80s best theme tunes like Mask and all that kind of stuff. How did you find the theme tune? Yeah, it catchy? Was, it was very 80s, yeah. It was, wasn't it? Yeah, quite catchy. And also, when it's in the episode, they also have a lot of hard guitar riffs, even when there's nothing happening on screen, which I always find quite amusing. So they're all sat in the control room. And if you took the music away, you think this is the most boring thing in the world. Nobody's doing anything, and yet you've got this hard guitar music going on. And even though there's nothing happening, you're like, "Wow, this is amazing!" Mm. Uh, you, you are tricked by music a lot in the show. I find. I think you are made to think things are more epic than they actually yeah, are I'm because of the music. It's <laughs> and he has a lightsaber, a gun that has a sword that comes out the top of it. Mm. That's going to be difficult when you're changing the bullets and you press oh, the wrong yes. button. And some kind of laser shield. <laughs> oh, but that's cool. It's in his glove. Thing. But the thing I like about that is you've got all the circuitry details in his glove as well, so it was really they really thought through the technology on the show. I mean, alright, it looks ridiculous in hindsight, but they really did give it a lot more detail than just sort of like, here's a round thing that makes a shield. It was like, no, this is a power glove, and it's got this this uh, this bit on here, and you can see the, the, the power bits going up and down it, and I just thought that was really nice. It was just a, 
bearing in mind that his basic outfit is just he's wearing a unitard <laughs> or a, or just sort of like long johns with boots and a, and a cape. Yeah. Not a great so look, they to give be him all the uh, gadgets to detract from that. Yeah, it's kind of like yeah, he might look a dick, but he's got fantastic gadgets. But I, I quite like the funny little robot character. Yeah, although, that's... although it bugs me that it's just it's an emotional, cheeky, chappy little robot, which doesn't sit with all your other robot characters from TV shows. Well, like it's all said, wish we... they had emotions. Well, we discussed this T Bob from Mask had emotions, and then you have other uh, characters like Scooter in Bloody Go Bots. You know, you always have the best mate robot type mm-hmm. character, and I thought that this one, like I say, is not that annoying actually. And when you yeah. think about it's it, it's quite cute. It reminded me of uh, the monkey out of Aladdin. I don't know if you yeah. watched Aladdin when they did the TV show. I can see why it some of the like facial the, expressions. The cheeky chappy little sidekick. Yeah, I thought it was a bit mean of the gods to blame Ulysses for killing the Cyclops in episode one when actually Nono kicked its ass. You know, this little red yeah. sort of best mate robot gets his mirror and just blasts the thing in its eyes. And it's like, Ulysses, you've killed it. I like, no, it's the robot. Yeah. Just, just kill the robot. That's fine. We can always buy another one. Well, yeah, it didn't really sit well with me at all that the whole premise of the show is these gods having retribution against Ulysses for for killing one Cyclops monster that was actually harvesting children. <laughs> you know. Nobody said oh, they're nice well, gods. No, well, they're obviously not, but... But the, the Greek myth element of it, and you've only seen two episodes of it, which we thought two episodes of Ancient Magus Bride, two episodes of this, can't get much different. You know, one set in, you know, lovely idealised England, the other one set in deep space with <laughs> Greek with gods Greek, yeah. and uh, blue people. Uh, which always reminds me of Daft Punk whenever I see it. I don't know if you've seen the Faster Stronger video for, by yeah, Daft Punk, and it's got the mean. blue people in mm. It's so that. I know they say it's all based on um, Bleji Matsumoto's work, but to me, it always seems more like it's based on Ulysses 31. That's my mm. excuse anyway, I'm sticking to it. But yeah, it was a pretty, pretty interesting, I thought, show. And not that I'm going to ask you to watch any more of it, but. You can watch that while you're coding it. Yeah, well, I thought you might give me that option. I'll, uh, I'll dip in and out for an odd one every so often. Yeah. But it wasn't offensive. Did you, did you sort of no, appreciate it? It actually, it actually made me want to go back and watch the, the things that I love from the 80s. I recently ordered um, gummy bears. Oh, yes, I remember that. You got all and, of that complete yeah. collection. And I've got um, Dog Tanyon. They were, they were my two favourites as a kid, so it kind of makes me want to go back and watch those and see how they've held up yeah, to the test it, of time. It, it's strange when you go back. I mean, things like Willy Fogg, uh, that was always a classic. And The true test will be one day when we when we force our children to watch these shows, and we're going to be so upset if, <laughs> if they hate them. Yeah, they probably will hate them, to be fair. I mean, there's some there's some classics that I've found, like Pole Position, which nobody remembers, but we only had like seven episodes, but it had a kick-ass theme tune, another Shuki Levy classic. This is the problem with uh, 80s cartoons. They're terrible, Objectively, I mean, Transformers is a terrible cartoon. I'm a huge Transformers fan, as everybody knows. But even I can look at that original cartoon. Apart from the first three episodes, the rest of it is just so crap. I mean, the stories are just are just awful by any level. Uh, there's like one or two that stand out as being quite good, but the rest of it... And there was about 70-plus episodes of this. And when, like, five of them are any good, it's like, yeah, this is, this is not good. But I think the theme tunes trick us into thinking that the cartoons are better than they were. Because Prince Valiant had an amazing theme tune, an epic theme tune. But you watch the cartoon now, and it's so stilted. It's like, yeah, this isn't as good as I remember it being. Pirates of Dark Water, another good one. Jason the World Warriors, so... I just thought it'd be nice for you to see something that I'd grown up with as sort of what originally kind of sparked my interest in cartoons and things. And it was interesting that the ones that really caught my imagination were usually Japanese co-productions. 
So Mysterious Cities of Gold, which was a staple of my diet as a kid. Uh, again, I, I think I must have watched all of that from start to finish I think when it I was on. I remember that one. Yeah, the Golden Condor and the. I wasn't uh, hugely into it, but I think I must have watched a few. It was, you were probably just about old enough to remember that one, possibly. But they they did a new series of that with the same characters just further on in time, and I, I missed it. But I wish I picked it up so I can see it on eBay. This Ulysses is it a new release? No, this one's been out for about 10 years, I think. It was back when they started releasing classic TV shows like Dungeons and Dragons and things like that. And this is just one that came out. And it's Fox Kids, so it was probably being shown on one of the, on their satellite channel just because they had the rights to it. And they decided to release it on DVD. And sad old farts like me went and picked it up <laughs> to go, oh, this, this, I remember this being awesome. Uh, but, I mean, Battle of the Planets was originally a Japanese show that was edited for the international audience. And... So when I got to being about 13 and I was introduced to Ranma, it was a, it was a very interesting uh, experience. So I just, I just thought it'd be nice for you to see something from my childhood that's uh, turned me into the mad bastard you know today. <laughs> and I'm marrying, Thanks. so well done. <laughs> so let's move on to some board games, more your wheelhouse, I feel. Yeah. You've been playing some new stuff and I've been playing it with you. So let's talk about the Custom Heroes game that you introduced me and uh, Tom to the other night. Tell us about Custom Heroes. Okay, so this game is what you'd refer to as a card crafting game. So this means you're you're playing with cards, but you're going to modify them throughout the game. So one of the frustrating things is during the setup, you have to take every single card and put it into a plastic sleeve. <laughs> Um, so when you've done that, and I think... Three hours later. Yes, about 60 or so cards, I think, that you do that too. Um, you're then ready to start. You then have these kind of transparencies that have different modification powers. So you start with your base cards and... Well, you, you get 10 each, don't you, to start with? Yeah. Okay, so it's what you call a trick-taking game. So okay. you play around, which is also referred to as a trick. And the idea is you want to be the last player to be able to lay down cards. And that means you take the trick. To be able to play cards, you may need to modify them. So you use your clear modifications to insert them into the card in order to try and win the trick. But the thing is that those modifications then stay with that particular card for the whole game. Mm -hmm. So subsequent future rounds. So, um, okay. so just, just in a nutshell... You've got cards 1 to 10 in value, and to play around, you have to put in a certain number of cards. So you might put in two twos, and the next player has to put but in... But you haven't got 1 to 10. No, no, I'm just yeah. saying, but they're, they, but they're shuffled and you get a selection. Yeah. But then you have to play, you might have two twos, and you decide you're going to play that, and then the next person would have to play two cards of that value or higher. And you keep going around until people just can't play and they have to pass, and when everybody passes, the last person to play the cards wins that round. So that's, that's the simplest form of the game. But the modifications can change the value of the cards. Because I think when we were playing it, you had some cards that were worth 17. <laughs> They're very hard to, to beat. Yeah. And so you could have won a round, I thought, because I, I didn't play this, but I, it was clear to me that if you played one card of 17, well, there's nothing you're going to do to beat that. Because uh, they only got to mm -hmm. 1 to 10, so unless there's other modified cards of that round. We found the best strategy was to try and launch rounds with as many cards as you possibly can because the the chances of the next player being able to get together the, the same amount is pretty low. Is lower. It but didn't really work for me as a strategy, I have to <laughs> say, but that's what I tried. 
You also have power tokens, which you have to pay in order to yes. modif- to use some of the more powerful modifications. Yeah, so you might be scuppered by not being able to play something that would otherwise win you the round. So yeah. it's all about managing your resource as much as anything else. Yeah, and so it, once you win tricks, you'll get victory point tokens. And then once you've achieved 10 victory points, you then have to go on to win an, a subsequent round. And I guess that evens the game out quite nicely because we found that a player got to 10 victory points quite really? quickly, but then they have to have got to 10 and then win another round. So that gives the other players a chance to get to 10 as well and then kind of... Yeah, and so you can if, if you come last, then you lose a victory point as well. So you can go down as well as yeah. up. And we can win five when you win a round. So it does get a bit different... And also, if you further down the rankings you come in each trick, the more boosters you get in terms of uh, power-ups and things for your cards. So sometimes there is actually benefit in not winning a round because you end up with more resources to use in the next round. And so it goes round and round until somebody wins. And it took us a while to get the hang of it, I felt. Uh, But once we had the hang of it, I quite enjoyed it. I mean... Yeah, I, can't I speak think for it, else, but I think I it's one that'll it. take a few games to really get into, and once you have a better knowledge of what other cards are in the pack, mm. you can usually play. Well, there are expansions, and there's other mm. other versions of this game as well. And this is Big in Japan, which is a great studio for Japanese style games. So the artwork on here is very Japanese, which is great. And you've got everything from cyborg robot ladies to cute cat girl types and uh, mechas. And so, yeah, I think it's a pretty decent game. It's for, well, how many players does it actually recommend? Two to five. But if you go to Board Game Geek, it says... Yeah, I don't think you can really play this with less than three. I think it said three to five was kind of the optimum. Yeah, I think they're probably right there, because I think if you're just playing against each other, Mm -hmm. it's going to get pretty... It's going to be over pretty fast. Yeah. And you need that third element there, at least, to give you a bit of variety in the the hands. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I would say, although it says two to six, I'd say three to five probably sounds about right to me. And, yeah, so, you know, would you play it again? Or is it one of those ones where you've played it enough and you think, well, I've got the feeling No, no, it. I th- I'd play that again. Because it's a... One key thing, it says, you mustn't play it outside and leave it in the sunshine because all the cards <laughs> are plastic. I think it came with a warning on it, it did, to yeah. do that because the sun will warp it, especially in this lovely weather. So we won't play it outside. No. But, yeah, it's definitely one to, to play again. It's good. It doesn't require massive tactical thinking, mm. which I, I tend to find you can separate games like that for different moods. Sometimes you want to sit down and have a really play a really complex tactical thinking game. Sometimes you just want to play something you know simple and easy that you can just enjoy, and that it falls into that category. Yeah, I think say once you've figured out the rules, it's a much easier game. And I think it's the sort of thing where it's really helpful to have somebody who already knows how to play it to help mm-hmm. you out. And our problem a lot of the time is that we get these games to review. And it takes more says, time yeah. to learn how to play it than, than it actually does playing it and writing the review. But we found some good online videos that helped, helped with that. So yeah, so that's uh, Custom Heroes by Big in Japan and it's available in all good game shops. And when we were in Whitby I was quite surprised to see there there was a proper game shop with board games and things. So mm-hmm. it seems that this is getting quite big business now. Because yeah, it used to be, as far as I was aware, the sort of sub-product of places like mm-hmm. Travelling Man that were primarily comics, but it seems to me to have changed completely around. When I was in Travelling Man in Leeds a couple of weeks ago, they've moved shop, they've moved next door, and now it's predominantly games. 
Mm-hmm. It took me a while to find the comics. They're right at the back of the shop, and there's nowhere near the wall space they used to have. So it seems to me they're going all in on getting the, the games up and running. I think it's partly down to a resurgence in people wanting to play something that's social again, and not just sitting in front of a, a video game. And also, I think, Kickstarter yes. and similar sites have a, have a, a massive something... impact on it that people out there with ideas for great games are, are being able to get them funded now. Mm-hmm. I think there's something as well about the premiumness, getting a nice box with nice pieces and things. Now, I saw something on Kickstarter a while back, which I wish I'd had the money to back, but I just didn't at the time. And that was the Street Fighter board game. And the pieces that came with that were just gorgeous. But I have street fighter models around the house anyway so just for that it wasn't really worth it plus i'd have to paint them and i'm not the mm. best painter in the world but it looked gorgeous and when you can crowdfund something like that and there was another there was a batman one as well that came with really awesome looking pieces you're now getting to a, a state where you're almost into warhammer style games where people are buying them not to play them but just to paint the, the miniatures up mm-hmm. and to have the, the yeah. sets so I think we're almost going through a boom period. I don't know how much longer it's going to last, but certainly while people have disposable incomes and they're lurking on Kickstarter, looking for things to support. You know what? Statistics now show that people are spending their money less on stuff and more on experiences. Hmm. But board games and things like that kind of balance that. Hmm. Yes, it's technically stuff, but it's where it allows you to have an experience. Just like another game I played recently, Time Stories... Yeah. You know, it's a great experience. Yeah, you're solving a mystery and, mm. you know... You well, really, you get to be the Scooby you, gang, don't you? That's the thing. And if yeah, you've got good like friends... Say, and you, you get can a have... social experience out of it. Yeah. And, you know, perhaps for people who are not so social as well. Yeah, um, well, it gives you a focus, doesn't it? Which is a nice yeah. thing. It gives you something to talk about. And it gives you something to come together over, which yeah. is what we like. And I will say, I mean, I've got to know your friends mostly through board game nights, which mm-hmm. is nice. So we've uh, got to know each other whilst doing something fun. Yeah. And they're all lovely people as well. So it's, it's been a happy coincidence because they've all been horrible people. I've just concentrated on the board games. But I have to say, then we'll go see Tom and Andrew and uh, Cheryl and uh, even Jacqueline will occasionally join in with a Sherlock Holmes game or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's, been, it's been nice. And obviously now we, we've got to know Tom through playing board games. So it's been a really good experience and a really good way to get to know people. And yeah, I, th- I think it's it's a good game. I don't know if it's the best game I've played, and I can't remember how much this one cost. It's about forty pounds. Oh, I didn't think it was as much as that. Go on then, go find that find that board game. Bearing in mind that Amazon prices may not be the price that you pay in the shop. <laughs> uh, but what have we got? Yeah, Custom Heroes, twenty seven pound thirteen. But go buy it from Traveling Man. Pay a couple of pound extra. Amazon aren't paying any taxes. You know, support your local businesses. Anyway, that's enough of that. Um, So, let's call it a day there, because we've been going on for three quarters of an hour, just over. So, thank you very much for joining us all, and we'll be back again sometime in the future. I'm not entirely sure how regular I'm going to make this podcast. I think I'll I'll aim for once a week. If I do that, it's more likely to be me a fair fair amount, but at least try and drag Brian into it once a fortnight and uh, go from there. Okay, well, in that case, it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Thanks for listening. See you again. Bye now.
for what's that? Where can I find this wonderful free entertainment? Well, you can find the website at animeindependent.net. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook forward slash animeindependent or even on the Twitters at animeindie. That's I-N-D-Y. See you online, folks.